spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host otherwise known as the girl with the cold who sounds like a man. No, otherwise known as the brain broad. I do, though, have a cold, so get ready to hear me in my lower registers. Um, I'm just going to talk with a friend of mine, and she's a marvelous person, and I'm really excited to have her on. I've actually been wanting to do this show for quite some time, so you're in for a treat. Before we get into what the show is about, what the questions are, what the answers will be, uh, let me remind you to stay to the very end of the show where I will do stories from the road. And just before that, because it is the holiday season, I am going to yet again be the okay, 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 great guest giveaway. And I promise to give away something of mine that I know you want to have. Okay, so <laughs> now that I've done my yada, 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 yes, today is a beautiful day, as I always say. Um, but my feet are cold because I've got a little bit of a cold, and I came by it honestly. I babysat two very sick twin grandchildren for the whole week. It was so spectacular. I remember when my kids were little and whenever my most hyper child, so Rye would get sick and we would pass it on in the family. I'd go, oh my God, Rye is sick, pass it on. And we'd be so happy. Everybody would be like, Rye is sick, pass it on. Rye is sick, pass it on. Because it would mean that he would sit and be calm and we'd snuggle and we'd watch movies and he wouldn't be running back and forth in the living room pretending to be Roger Rabbit. So um, it was really a delight this week because I had this memory constantly come up for me. These two twins are adorable, but they are active. And so for the first five out of the seven days, they were not active. It was really nice. Lots of grandma snuggles, lots of movie watching, but they gave me a gift in return. So I have cold feet, a cold throat, and you're going to have to bear with my my sound. Um, now that you've heard all about my life, I'm going to get on with uh, Cynthia Kirsten. Cynthia Kirsten is, um, first of all, she's a PhD. She has lots and lots and lots of letters after her name, and as is often the case, I'll get her to explain a few, but some of them I can tell you about. Everyone knows what a PhD is, I hope. Um, and BCN, I also have a BCN that's a biofeedback certified neurotherapist, only I'm a little lower than her on the totem pole, so I'm a BCNT and she's just a BCN. But she has a couple of others here that will get her to explain to you and that'll get us kicked off in the uh, in the conversation. She's Q-E-E-G-D and B-C-B, so it's all sounding really, really important. And in fact, she is. And I can tell that to you because she is my dissertation chair and that means that she's I have to really butter her up because she's the one that has to be sort of helping me to survive my PhD course. It also helps you to know that she's a great support and a wonderful font of information for us. 
And we have something in common, but before I tell you what that is, she's also currently the Director of Education for Brain Science International. She's the Clinical Director of Marin Biofeedback of San Rafael, California, and Adjunct Professor at Saybrook University, which is where I'm going to university. So let's, uh, let's talk with her, and I'll tell you what we have in common is she has a brother who has autism, and I have, as you know, many children and grandchildren and was myself on the spectrum at one point. So autism is a theme of the show, and the reason I thought it would be really nice to talk with Cynthia is because we were at a conference recently, and we were talking about, there's a thing called the QEEG, and it's a brain map of your different brainwave activity. And we were talking about how, you know, when you look at these tests, when I look at my son's test, his is better than mine, and yet he can barely speak and is still challenged to do housework. And her brother has challenges, and her, she said hers is worse than his. And I thought, now that's worth a show. We have to talk about the challenge of trying to find out um, what's up with our relatives that have autism and how do we help them, and do we rely solely on tests or do we rely on other things? And welcome to the show, Cynthia. I so appreciate that you're here. And now you have to tell everybody what a QEEGD and a BCB are. Um, Okay, so a QEEGD stands for QEEG, which is uh, what Lynette just described as a brain map, stands for quantitative electroencephalogram. Uh, What we're doing is we're looking at the bioelectrical systems in the brain when we're doing uh, that kind of a brain scan. And the D stands for diplomate. There's two levels, uh, QEEGT and QEEGD. Um, uh, D for technologist and, or I'm sorry, T for technologist and D for diplomate. Um, that allows me to also mentor and teach for the uh, certification program uh, as a diplomate. Oh, very cool. And BCB? And, and the BCB is also BCIA. Um, certified in biofeedback. Um, I'm also neurofeedback, as Lynette explained. Um, Biofeedback is looking at all of the other measures in your system, your heart rate, uh, your muscle tension, your galvanic skin response, uh, how you breathe, um, and those systems in the body that are pretty much everything else except for the brain, uh, which is a whole separate certification, which was just explained, which is in neurofeedback. And you know what makes you such a great guest is because you're so um, versed in the entire body with biofeedback, it's really perfect for us to talk about the subject of, you know, what do we look at, like when we're looking at someone who has autism. But first, let's get your backstory a little bit so they know who you are. And just to know, Cynthia, I always have a question that we try to answer. So today's question can be anything that shows up in our conversation, but what's at the top of my head right now is sort of, you know, should we just use the the tests that come to us from the doctors? Should we use our own observations? Should we use a combination? How do we know how to help our loved one with autism? So that's kind of what we're going to play with. Um, if you could tell them about your brother a little and your relationship so they have a sense of who you are in that way in the autism world. Sure. Okay, so my brother is a year and a half younger than I am. He's the last of three, my sister, myself, and then my brother. Um, He was born anoxic, and um, so we believe that that might have been the cause of his um, diagnosis of autism. He didn't speak 
uh, a word until he was 12 years old, and he hasn't shut up since. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He is um, very high on the spectrum. Um, He does well um, scholastically. Um, um, He graduated from a special education program in New York, so he, he wouldn't have made it through a mainstream program. Um, but he is always very interested in learning and doing crossword puzzles and things like that to to keep himself active. Um, he loves to play the drums. He loves to bowl. Uh, he's a lot of fun to be around. Um, you know, he's just a real sweetheart. Um, and, you know, he was my brother, and I grew up with him. And, and um, you know, there's always those challenges in a family as as you're growing up uh, as a teenager and protecting your brother from all of the the social um, insensitivities around that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can I say about him? He's been in a group home in Florida nearby where my dad lives for almost 20 years um, in a great environment with other handicapped men. Um, and he comes to visit me regularly, which is how I discovered that um, that his brain map his brain electrical activity was actually considered to be more neurotypical than mine. And okay, so you just you just went into that so perfectly. <laughs> so thank you for the background. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I remember when I had mine done and I had my son Dar's done, and he's much more uh, low functioning, much more minimal in his ability to do things. And uh, you know they were reading it and. His brain map also was better than mine. So what did that mean to you when you heard that? Well, I questioned who had the, the diagnosis. No. Um, uh, let's see. What did that mean to me? Well, um, when I did his brain map, which is probably, I'm going to say, 10 years old now, and um, with the intention he had come to visit me for an entire summer, so he was here for six weeks, and um, so I did his brain map right at the beginning with the intention of doing neurofeedback with him. And what I found was that all of the brain behaviors um, behaved very normally, um, what you would expect when you're comparing a brain map to a, a normative database or a neurotypical database. Everything kind of matched up. The only difference was that his brain activity was very quiet, Meaning that it was all proportionately correct, but it was very, very quiet. So low amplitude. Low, low amplitude. You mean? Yes, very low okay. amplitude. Um, whereas in my case, in comparison to my brain map, I have very high amplitude in beta, which is the really busy uh, brain wave. Uh, it's, some of it is good in terms of being able to stay focused and being able to attend to things and be, being able to cognize um, uh, efficiently. Um, but it can also, there's too much of a good thing, and it could make your brain just a little too fast and a little too uh, hypervigilant might be uh, the right word. So my brother lacks that in that um, his, even though everything was all pretty even in terms of its comparison to this normative database, um, everything was very low amplitude. And so um, I worked to do neurofeedback with him just simply by trying to boost up, by, by having all the neurons talk a little bit louder to each other. And what do you think? Did it have any benefit for him? It, it was 
amazing. <laughs> um, he loved it. Um, he called it his treatment, and uh, we went. You know, we did two or three sessions a week because we had a limited amount of time. His um, reaction uh, was he he was able to articulate in conversations in a way that he had never done before. Um, my dad would be talking with him on the phone regularly, and he really noticed the, the change in my brother's initiation of conversation rather than, you know, my brother will typically, um, you know, he'll respond to your question, he'll be polite to you, but, but he, he doesn't contribute to the conversation by uh, initiating new thought. And my father was really impressed that he was able to do that in a way that he'd never been able to do that before. That's really exciting. I found very similar things with, with my guys. And even, you know, I referred to Dar and talked about how mine, <laughs> my brain map was worse than his. But um, he's very low functioning. However, he was blind. He was um, only able to see motion when he was young. Now he can actually differentiate forks from knives from spoons. He can play Scrabble. He can. So um, there's many things that have healed in him that should never have been things that I could heal or help him to heal or encourage to change purposefully. Um, and yet neurofeedback has been the, the tool I did that with. Still, when we compared my brain to his brain, mine was way more erratic. I had way more paroxysmal activities and things like that. Um, I think for him, it's a lot of it's in the cerebellum, and we don't see that activity, right? No, you can't. You don't. We don't see the cerebellum in um, in the EEG. Yeah, we can't. We can't reach in there, and also the cerebellum doesn't have the types of uh, the um, the um, um, uh, what's the word I want? The it, orientation. It doesn't have the type of uh, neurons that fire the EEG the way we do. Is that what you mean? Like the right. It, it it does have the type, but they have to be oriented a certain way in order for us to be right. able to pick up their activity. And the, the cerebellum doesn't have them. Okay. So, but it w does have feedback loops. So what I like is that you notice like a a low amplitude problem on your brother, and I noticed things on my son, and I just worked on them in relation to him instead of right. in relation to normative data because in relation to him, you could I could still see places that needed help. Um, and so that kind of gets us to the whole how do we make decisions. Well, and that's a very important piece. Um, there are services in our business where if you were to send the recording to them, they would then give you an interpretation and neurofeedback recommendation. And I think that that is missing a big piece, and that is that they don't know the client. Um, and so uh, oftentimes when I, I do my own brain maps, and so when I do a brain map um, and I'm looking at it, I, I might see a pathology uh, or a paroxysm or something that that stands out as not neurotypical in quotes, but I'll ignore it because it's not um, relevant to the client's uh, behaviors and goals. 
And, yeah, and, and, I, and, and yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's big. That's huge. I mean, how how lucky your client is that you're doing it yourself instead of sending it off to someone who doesn't know who you are. So, how do we get that kind of personalized service for our children? And we're talking about neurofeedback or biofeedback or whatever. But just in general, when you're a family member or a parent and you're trying to get help in the medical world, it's a problem getting somebody who will be that sort of knowledgeable about you that's doing the testing because in all of our our medical model is so-and-so does the lab test, so-and-so does, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. how do we yeah. get this sort of um, inclusive approach or pick our, our experts in order to get that? Well, I, and I think that that's an important question that you ask whoever your uh, consulting, phys, you know, physician or practitioner is. Um, uh, if they if they have a, a need for certain types of um, 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 uh, evaluations, then all of those evaluations should come into that one person or that one team, so that all of it can be evaluated in a, in a very comprehensive way. So one time. I went to um, this really fancy endocrinologist, right? He's like, I just had my, mer- I, I, what happened was I had my fillings removed. Mercury leaked into my body. It attacked my thyroid. I ended up really, really sick. We figured it out. We chelated the mercury, and I had to go and, and get my thyroid dealt with. So I, at this point, I'm only going to go to the best, right? So I find someone who's good and expensive and <laughs> comes with lots and lots of recommendations. And I go to him, and he sits me in my thyroid chair and feels my thyroid and looks at my tests. And um, I and he's looking at the paperwork, and I start to say, "Here, let me tell you how I'm feeling." And as I finish that sentence, he puts his hand up to stop me and says. I don't care how you're feeling. I care what your tests say. Mm-hmm. Right? So I picked yeah. up my paperwork and left and, <laughs> and went to somebody else. But the, the question comes, like when a parent is sitting there or a sister or a brother or whoever the caregiver is sitting there and there's this authority figure that is so certain with them, what do you do? Because he um, I, was really I'm, intimidating. i got to say, if I wasn't the person I am, I'm sure I would have just all of a sudden been quiet and taken whatever he gave me. I, I, agree, I agree with that. I agree with all of that. that we, um, I think that in our generation, we're a little less inhibited by um, you know, the, the MD after the name um, and don't do um, exactly what is prescribed by them. Uh, I think we're all with the internet and what have you. We're all feeling a little, a little more self-empowered um, in 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 regards to that. Um, and I do. I did the same thing. I, I, exactly the same thing. I fired an endocrinologist. I would never go back to her again because it was the same thing. Um, I have Graves' disease, and she didn't wasn't listening to how I felt. And there's the the, the symptoms in in Graves' disease are so. Um, with everybody, they're so they're different. There's there's so many of them, and we all have our own cluster of of, uh, of symptoms. Um, and so, to not pay attention to how someone feels um, is um, is I think not you know certainly not being a good practitioner. When I'm working with kids, um, 
especially with autistic kids, if they are able to engage uh, with me, and the hope is if they can't at the beginning that they will over time, um, is when I'm sitting there with the parents and they're discussing with me the kinds of problems that their child has and the kinds of problems they have with their child, um, I will always then look at the child and, and, and say even kind of in a maybe silly way, do you agree with mom? Do you think you think you know? Do you think you're like that, or how do you feel about mom, you know, talking about that about you or something? And 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 it, that can be really very um, insightful in terms of, no, I don't think I'm like that. Well, you know, you know, in in the adults' minds, well, yeah, you are like that, um, <laughs> but but they don't realize it. And so, you know, to carry on in therapy, telling them we're going to fix this thing about you and you don't realize that they don't think they have it then they're not going to they're not going to participate in the same way right exactly and it should be you know we should be at least given the right to say this is how I'd like to feel <laughs> right yeah. yeah and this is what's important to me and that includes right. our kids that have spectrum issues. I mean, I don't think it's unique to normative people. Um, okay, so I have to say this thing. And when we come back, we're going to hit on another sort of field question, then we're going to get more into your brother, which is uh, the field question I'm going to come back from my middle of show break will be, you know, I see a lot of people using the Internet to gather information, but I also see them lying to their doctors and then using over-the-counter stuff and not telling their doctors what they're doing. So as much as the doctors can be a problem, so can the patients. So I thought maybe we could play with that a little bit when we return. You're listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise with the deep, throaty voice today, (laughs) otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And today is a gorgeous day. We are talking with Cynthia Kearson. She is a, well, first of all, she's most importantly, she's my chair and she's going to really help me to get my dissertation so that I too can be a PhD. Someday, maybe in the, you know, foreseeable future, if I don't quit before that happens. Um, she's also a pretty important person in that she is the Director of Education for Brain Science International, which, by the way, is a fantastic company and you should look it up. And just put in Brain Science International and up they'll come. And stay to the very end of the show where I will do stories from the road. See me, my throat holds up. And uh, I'm going to give you away something on the Great Guest Giveaway. All right, Cynthia, we're back. So let's talk about this just for a second because it's been showing up with my clients. So as much as we are more informed, and I do want to encourage people to be their own expert, I don't want that to mean lying or withholding knowledge. So have you seen this um, in your practice? Is this something you've had to deal with? Yes, absolutely. Um in my intake, I always ask, you know, what medications they're on and who the prescriber is. Um, and um, most of the time, they're honest to me about that. But when they have more than one prescriber, I'm always a little bit skeptical. Um, and I will, especially if the medications are similar or um, or might actually have some um, antagonistic properties, uh, that kind of thing, um, I will always um, ask them if I can communicate with their prescriber. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, in a friendly way, we'll have a little more conversation around it. And usually when they know that I'm going to be talking to their prescribers, that they, then they'll kind of fess up. 
that right. that they're taking um, either half the dose or you know more than or you know whatever. Right. Um, the other thing that I find a problem, and and this is might be very true also in the um, autism population, is that when parents come in and uh, you know show you know bring their child and they want to do neurofeedback and whatever, something that's very very important and that is often left out is when your child might have had some kind of a traumatic brain injury, uh, even if it's falling off the bike, falling down the stairs, something something that, you know, your child was fine, you know, after 10 or 15 minutes kind of thing, um, a, lot, a lot of times those things are left out because the parent doesn't realize how important they might be. Um, and so I really encourage when you do see a practitioner that is looking at brain uh, behavior that to really uh, remind yourself of any of those events that could be very important to the outcome. Yeah, another one that shows up is withdrawal symptoms. So somebody's taken someone off of Prozac, for example, and um, in fact, Prozac is the one that's used in autism quite frequently and then pulled. And so they've taken them off Prozac, and then they're meeting you, and they're still in that waves and windows period of the Prozac withdrawal, but we're seeing it as symptoms of their condition because we're not being informed. So I think what we want to sort of look at is how do how do parents become the expert, claim their stance, while at the same time be fully revealing. Like, I do want them to look things up on the Internet. I do want them to become very informed. I do want them to choose their expert, but I don't want them withholding. So um, just, you know, talk to that a little bit about the concept of being very holistic and, and willing to fire people but also be, you know, giving the real information. Well, and I think that there's there has to be um, a level of trust and respect for the clinician, um, because if if you don't have that level of confidence with your clinician, then you're you're not going to want to share some of these things with them. And so I think that there, there's a there's a mutual relationship here in that you know you want to be respectful to their privacy, but you also want them to respect that you need to know these things in order to give them the best. Uh, the best care that you can. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about um, just your brother. And, you know, we started with that. We want to close with that. So what was it like growing up with having to maybe protect him? Or do you have a story that you want to share that you think would be useful for people? Ah, a story. Um, I, I, you know, I just, I don't know that I might come up with one um, as I'm chatting away here, but um, just mostly that um, certainly in the uh, my junior high and a little bit into my high school years, I used to always like to bring my brother around with me. Um, and uh, my sister and I would take turns babysitting him because, you know, we, we would come home from school and we each took turns in the afternoon until my mom and dad came home from work. And um, I, I, my idea of babysitting was to take him around with me, to take him to my girlfriend's houses and for us, you know, to walk around the neighborhood and do all those silly things you do, uh, you know, in a junior high and whatever. And my sister would stay home with him. And so, there, you know, there were plenty of times where, um, like I said, very insensitive, uh, you know, junior high school, you know, sub 
uh, some teenager kids would, you know, make fun of him. And um, I didn't, I never wanted to, uh, you know, to be his policeman, or nor did I want to engage in their behavior by being mean back to them or being mad at them. You know, mm-hmm. basically I felt sorry for them that they weren't open enough to um, to be kind to my brother. Um, but but I just kind of let those kinds of things so that, that my brother wouldn't get uh, attached to them. Like, gee, why is, why is Cindy getting getting mad at that person when he wasn't even aware of what they were saying in the first place. Right. So there was always this kind of balance between, you know, yo, dude, you know, go find somebody else to make fun of and leave my brother alone and also not upsetting my brother. So I can't think of any specific event, but no, I can but say that's... that that's where, that's where I would go when someone was mean to my brother. And that is huge. Let's talk about that for a minute because I see parents deal with this all the time they get so um they start to live in a bubble often where mm-hmm. they don't want to look at anybody in the store or they don't want to because they're so afraid of seeing a negative reaction from the world around them although now it's one in 45 so pretty soon <laughs> the neurotypicals yeah. will be the minority but um so you know if you can walk that balance between creating a scene and you know, understanding that you're creating the awareness. I mean, I think that's an important point. I'm pretty sure most people don't think about it. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I urge people to think about it, to, that to, be, um, to be more sensitive to your child, your brother, you know, whomever, um, be sensitive to, to their experience than to try to prove to who's ever being mean. I mean, who's ever being mean at that moment is not going to learn anything from you, which is what you would be attempting to do. So um, it's just, it's futile to to do that. And also to, to live in a bubble, I think, is a shame for the autistic person because, uh, you know, we all have to be careful with autistic people because they become overwhelmed. Uh, you know, they, they become very... Um, 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 uh, what's the word, uh, agitated by all the stimuli. Uh, and, and so we, we need to be careful about that, but we also don't want to not give them something to, to live on. So, right. you, you know, we want them to enjoy life. We want them to have a life. So right. there's, there right. is a fine balance there, absolutely. And sometimes I wonder the degree to which um, we are creating their their being so introverted because we're being introverted because we yeah. don't want to look out and see everybody having judgments. I know that when I shifted that for myself and my kids, my kids followed. So then the question was, you know, chicken or egg here? Um, yeah, to a large degree when we live in a bubble, we teach them to live in one too. Right. Yeah. So when you think about it, your life experience, um, both as a professional helping people with brain disorders and body disorders, um, and as a sister. And by the way, I love that you took them around everywhere. Uh, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what What would be the one last piece of advice that you would love to share with people, knowing that our audience is primarily caregivers and parents? I think I think my I think my advice would be to to not be ashamed and to realize how much we learn 
from them. My brother, my brother has brought me so much joy. I've, we always have fun together. Um, I have learned many things from him because he's sensitive and needs to be, um, you know, protected in a way, you know, uh, against uh, too much stimuli. Um, that the, that quietness that he. Um, that he that I that I need to have in order when I'm around him um, is always a gift to me. Oh, that's a very cool point. That's a very cool point. In fact, that's my greatest pleasure in my son is that he's so great in the quiet. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. Thank you so much. Um, Cynthia Kirsten, Ph.D., wonderful lady and friend, and I really appreciate that you were here to share your opinions and your experience with us. Well, you're very welcome. I, I, I greatly appreciate having been invited. Okay, great. All right, so just before I say goodbye, Cynthia, please tell us your website so that people can find you. Uh, you can find me at marinbiofeedback.org. So it's M A R I N Biofeedback B I O F E E D B A C K and it's dot org, not dot com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, that was Cynthia Kearson, PhD, wonderful lady. So happy that she came and joined us. Oh, my throat is going. I barely have time to give away stuff and tell you a story. Okay. So, okay, okay, okay. I am the great guest giveaway, and it is holiday time. And because it's holiday time, I say that quietly because you're supposed to be evergreen and never say that it's holiday time. But it is. It's holiday time. So until the end of December, I'm still wanting to give away Fix It in Five. So here it is. The next person to send me an email at mom number four evermore at juno, J-U-N-O dot com in the subject line put Fix It in Five. I will give you free access to Fix It in Five. All right. And everybody else, it's on sale for half off until the end of December. And the half off code, when you go to Vimeo, and you can get there, just go to my website, brainbody.net or lynettelouise.com, and go over to Fix It in Five and click on it, and you'll end up in Vimeo. And when you want to purchase or rent, you put Fix It in 5 with a capital F and you get 50% off. That'll be like that to the end of the month. So please, even if you miss that first opportunity, get it for half off. It's a fantastic show. It will change your life. It will teach you so much and entertain you at the same time. So if you're dealing with seizures or epilepsy at home or poverty or just want to know how to do play to help your child um, be introduced to the possibilities of neurofeedback, this is a show for you, so make sure that you watch that. Okay, that's my, that's my great guest giveaway pitch. So now it is time for Stories from the Road. I know I've probably told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it so matches the subject that came up at the end of the talk with Cynthia. When my kids were young, 
um, you know, I got that same in a bubble feeling. You know, I got first of all, I was so busy. There was eight of them, and so many of them were special needs that it was hard to pay attention to the rest of the world. And I actually took them everywhere, and I saw the world as our schoolroom. So I went ahead and thought, well, we're stretching people. They're just going to have to learn to live with us when we enter a restaurant or enter the store or whatever. I took my kids everywhere. I was famous for it. So. Um, I get I I get this habit in the grocery store of having the kids, you know, so they all follow me, so they keep their eyes on me, so that I don't have to be constantly counting heads. But of course, you're still counting heads, and it all worked fairly well until the kids got a little bit older, and they had sort of improved enough that Dar became obvious in his disability to me. It's funny because they were all a cluster of special needs kids. He wasn't so obvious, but as they improved, he became very obvious. And so he started acting out in certain ways, and I think it was just to entertain himself, you know. Like he used to love to go to the edge of the street and jump and scream and make it look as if he was about to jump out in front of the car. He wasn't going to, but he especially liked to do that if it was an old person, like really old person driving the car. And I think he just liked to see them freak out and panic. So, um, you know, you have to entertain yourself when you don't have language. And this was before neurofeedback, and he didn't have any language at all. So, um, you know, I'm, we're we're working it. We're trying to help the kids. Everything's going. And I say we because even though it was me and a bunch of kids, we worked on a buddy system. So big sisters and little brothers were always paired off, similar to what Cynthia was describing. Anyway, so we're going along, and, and kids are getting better. Kids are getting better, and Dara's not. And he's about 16, and he's doing this jumping and screaming thing, especially when he sees old people. And when we go to the grocery store, it's an especially big problem. So I'd be like grocery shopping, always going, please no old people, please no old people. But sure enough, there'd be somebody come along at some point. So this one day, um, I'm shopping, and he's you know big guy by now, and he jumps and screams at the top of his lungs if he sees an old person. And I'm on alert, hoping nobody shows up. And wait, so we're we're going down the aisle. And an old person, sure enough, comes around, and he goes to jump, and I get ready to yell, Dar, stop, you know, in that very commanding tone that would make him stop. And my daughter distracted me somehow, and he, I didn't do it, and so he jumped and screamed, and the old guy's face goes white, and it looks like he's going to have a heart attack. And normally I have lots to say in a situation, as you may have gathered, But um, in this case, I was kind of dumbfounded for some reason, and my daughter giggled, and she said, oh, that's just my brother. That's how he says hello here. You can shake his hand. And it was so amazing because the man took his hand, and they shook hands, and, and the guy was, like, happy to meet my son. And I thought that the world was angry or bothered by him, but in fact, they were just at a loss. And here was my daughter reaching across this chasm between us and them and showing him how to be. And the guy then was comfortable. Not only was he comfortable, but he kept going out of his way to come around a corner and say hi to Dar. And I'm like, you know, a mess. I'm crying, thinking, oh, my gosh, all these problems all these years have been mostly been created by me and my aversion to seeing a look of what I was viewing as hatred on other people's faces for my children, when in fact, probably most of the time that look was, I don't know what to do with this 
strange human being. I'm scared and nervous. And all I had to do was say, here, this is my son. You can shake his hand. So this was a big moment for us. It was a really big moment for me. It was when I came to understand that my mission in life is to spread the word, that our kids are fine, that they're weird and they're quirky and they do unusual things, but they're lovely. And just reach across the chasm and shake their hand or say hello or, you know, give a smile. They're feeding off your energy and they're feeding off the parents' energy as much as they are the crowd's energy. So please understand that if you show the world a face of anger, they show it back to you. If you show the world how to be kind to your children, they usually are. It's actually that simple. And it took me a long time to learn. So I hope I helped you by sharing that. I really have to go. My throat's killing me. I'm Lynette Louise, the story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. You've been listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. And thank you for being here because without you, I would just be talking to myself. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real-life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself I can't hear